So, now you know. All right. Well, take your Bibles and turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, we're not going to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 at the beginning of um, our message, but actually more towards the end of the message. We've had a number of requests uh, from our QR, QR code uh, suggestion card for uh, message topics on tithing and stewardship and giving. And so tonight we're going to look at uh, tithing for the New Testament believer. Uh, we understand that uh, the tithe is giving back 10% to God. A tithe were, in the Old Testament, they were used for the maintenance of the temple. They were used to supply um, the, the equipment, the tools, uh, the materials for uh, conducting the worship and ministry at the temple. And they were also used uh, for the financial support of the priests and Levites, those who ministered and served in uh, the temple. Uh, and I believe that Christians in this New Testament ought to uh, tithe to their local church for the same reason why God required of Israel in the Old Testament to give the tithes for the support of uh, the ministry here as far as the materials used in worship uh, for the financial remuneration for those who serve on our staff in ministry here um, and uh, for, uh, for, for the maintenance of uh, the temple. Um, those air conditioner units out there, for instance, that's just one thing. And when one goes out, that's usually 10 grand or better. Uh, and that's just one unit. We have a number of them. Um, there are other things around here that these the buildings and property, it just takes, uh, just takes time and equipment and money and expertise. And I'm so thankful for so many people in our church who come and, and when they're able to volunteer their services and their expertise, and that it helps us to be faithful stewards um, of the Lord's money. But it takes... It takes money to do the work of the ministry. And so God set forth the example in the Old Testament. So we're going to start with that tonight. The Old Testament foundation for the tithe. In Leviticus, and the, and the, the verses should come up um, on the screen behind me. But in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, the Bible says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So in the Old Testament, that tithe was to be set apart for the sacred use given in worship to God. Now, yes, I just said it was used for uh, paying the, the priests and the Levites. By the way, they were expected to give a tithe of their income as well. Um, and for the maintenance of the temple and for the use of the, of the utensils and of the materials in, in the worship. But even Old Testament Israel understood they weren't just giving to the Levites. They weren't just giving to the temple. They were actually giving to the Lord. This is worship to the Lord, and it is the Lord's tithe. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 5, the Bible relates, And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance of the first fruits of corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things they brought in abundantly. So that it's not just limited to the produce. We understand that uh, Israel in the Old Testament was mo mo mainly an agricultural type of society, but it's not exclusively agricultural. There was a lot of other commerce and business that went on in, in the Middle East, in Israel, and even with some of the surrounding nations. And so uh, it was of all the ties, of all things. Uh, the Old Testament also gives instructions concerning the practice of giving free will offerings uh, but the tithing was mandatory to this point uh, that God says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, Will a man rob God? 
yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Interesting. God not only expected the tithe, and in the Old Testament the tithe was required, but God expected the offerings. And Leviticus not only gives instruction for giving the tithe, it also gives instructions for giving free will offerings, which were above and beyond the tithe. So here's a question. Would God expect any less of us in this age of grace who've received even so much more than they had under the law, we who are in this age of grace? Would God expect less or would God expect more? Well, they certainly wouldn't expect less than tithes and offerings. God says that when his people give less. Oh, and then let's, let's continue. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says that when his people give less than he expects of them, they're robbing him. And then in verse 10, it indicates that when God's people give less than he expects of them, they're robbing themselves of his blessings. And God's people were to give to him the first fruits. Proverbs mentions that, that we're to give to the Lord the first fruits of all our increase. Uh, and we're to give him the first fruits, not the leftovers. You see, the first fruits weren't just the very first figs that came ripe on the fig tree or the first of the corn that matured on the stalk. But first fruits, though it would have been probably earlier in the harvest season, it was the best quality. And there's a hymn that has the line in it, give of your best to the master. And that's what God was requiring in the Old Testament, a tithe of all and the first fruits, which was the best. And also God required that at the first, not as leftovers. For instance, the widow of Zarephath. Do you remember when the prophet of God, he was, he was at the brook Cherith and the ravens came and fed him and when the brook dried up, God said, there's a widow in Zarephath. And so he goes into Gentile territory to this widow of Zarephath and then he, when he walks um, into, her, into her, what would have been a courtyard or her, her yard, um, right where God directed him, there's this widow lady and her son and they're gathering up sticks. And so he engages them in a conversation and basically uh, he asks for a little water to drink. And then he says, and bring me a, a cake of bread or, or, you know, a little loaf or biscuit. You know, I'm, I'm a southern boy. I love biscuits. All right. Nothing in the world that makes a better breakfast to me than a bacon, egg and cheese biscuit. Although yesterday at our men's breakfast, those gravy, sausage, gravy and biscuits, they were really good, too. All right. Uh, so it comes like, give me a biscuit. All right. Um, and she says to him, we only have a little bit of oil in the cruise and a little bit of flour left in the jar. She said, I was just gathering sticks with my son to make a fire and to, and to make the last of the food, and then we're going to die. We're going to starve to death after this is the last of the food. And what does the prophet of God say? He says, make a cake for me first and then for yourselves. Was he being selfish? Was he being arrogant? I am the prophet of God. I take care of me first. Of course not. It was a test of faith. It was this. It was, lady, believe me. Because when he said, make a cake for me and then make for yourselves. Wait a minute. There was only enough for her and her son. And then they're going to die. Now here comes this prophet asking for food. If she uses the rest of the meal and the rest of the oil to make him a loaf of bread or a biscuit, there's not going to be any left for biscuits for them. And yet she obeys. She gave to God's man, we could say she gave to the Lord first, by faith, 
trusting that he would meet her need. Think of the widow that gave the two mites. Here Jesus is with his disciple and they're kind of standing in the temple courtyard and people are coming in and some of them are dropping great amounts. They had these big receptacles, you know, like great big vase kind of things. And people would drop their money into there. And, and uh, you know, the disciples were kind of impressed at some of the huge amounts that some of the people were bringing and dropping in there. And Jesus redirects her attention to this little nondescript, shabby, little scrawny widow lady who shuffles up and drops two widow's mites, which make a penny, and she drops it in there. I mean, talk about literally a drop in the bucket. And Jesus says, she just gave more than all those guys that put in those huge amounts of money because they gave out of their abundance. They still have something left over and they have a lot left over, but she gave out, out of need, she gave all that she had. What? an expression of love for God that she would give him the last of her money and what an expression of faith that she would trust God to give him the last of her money knowing that he was going to supply her need somehow and so folks God expects the first fruits not the leftovers God expects us to prioritize giving and not say well if there's enough if there's more money than bills left at the end of the month I'll give God some of that so let's move on to this. One of the things I want to remind you before we move to our second point is that although the tithe belongs to God, let's not forget that the other 90% is his also. The Bible tells us in Psalm 21 and Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. Let me ask you this question, and I want a verbal response. Does God need your money? No. But do you and I need to give? Yes. Absolutely, we do. And God uses what we have. And you know what? It, it is not, our God is not selfish. Our God is, is so giving. Is he not? He gave his only begotten son. He who gave, who gave up his own son who, and delivered him up for us all. Shall he not also freely give us all things? We looked at that in a prayer meeting message recently. Absolutely he will. He's not going to withhold any good thing from us. But it, God's giving us, and we'll look at this a little later in our passage and, and, and in our next couple of Sunday nights, God's giving us an opportunity to invest in the most incredible investment with the most assured interest rate and, and profit and, and eternal blessing. Like we're talking physical financial blessing in eternity future by giving now. And so it is God is saying, I'm giving you opportunity to invest in my kingdom, and I'm giving you opportunity to invest for yourself, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Second of all, and I'm trying to not go on too many little rabbit trails like this because there's a lot that I want to cover tonight in the next two weeks. So if you see me sticking to my notes, I kind of feel a little bit more like Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, eyewitness accounts say that every time he preached that message, he never looked at his audience. He just read verbatim his manuscript. But the Holy Spirit used that life and ministry of Jonathan Edwards in a very powerful way in that minister, the, the, the message sinners in the hands of an angry God. And many put their faith in Jesus Christ as they were faced with a sober reality of the wrath of a righteous God against their sin. So I'm going to try to really stick to my point. So if I look a little bit more like Jonathan Edwards and sticking to my notes tonight, it's because I'm trying to be respectful of your time. But not only do we look at the Old Testament foundation, let's, second of all, let's look at Jesus' teaching. And in Jesus' teaching, Jesus actually 
validates the mandatory tithe. In Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done, but listen to this, and not leave the other undone. They should have paid as much attention to the one as the other. They should not have left though the deeds of mercy and judgment and faith. They should not have left those undone, but they should not have left undone either the giving of the tithe. So Jesus is, is validating giving the tithe. He's not saying, look, don't worry about the tithe. You're, in, you're going to be in the age of grace. Don't worry about that. So, hey, you know, uh, make sure you're emphasizing the things that are really important. Faith, mercy, judgment, those kind of things. And the other, it's important, but it's not as important. No, Jesus gives great, great importance to us worshiping through giving of the tithes, which I believe God expects of his people. Not just those in the Old Testament, but those of us in this age of grace, in the church age. You see, there's a line of thought that says, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So we can give if we want, when we want, however much we want. But living in the age of grace is never expressed in the Bible as a reason to be less, to do less, or to give less. Because we stand in God's grace, having received the abundant favor of God, we actually should do more, be more, and give more. Uh, Randy Alcorn, if you've never read the book Treasure Principle, uh, let me encourage you to get it. It's not very expensive, um, and it's well worth the money and your time to read it. But one of the things in his book that he says is, when people tell me they can't afford to tithe, I ask them, if your income were reduced by 10%, would you die? And when they say no, I say, then you've admitted you can afford to tithe, you just don't want to. I didn't say that, Randy Alcorn said that. Blame him, not me, all right? But Jesus taught also that his expectation for his disciples exceeded the demands of the Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, and I'm just choosing one of a whole series of passages, because you've heard that it said, but I say unto you, remember, you've heard it said, thou shalt not, you know, and then he says, but I say unto you, okay, well, in Matthew 5, 38 to 42, Jesus says, ye have heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's actually Old Testament law, folks. And I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man sue thee at law and take away thy coat, give him thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. So Jesus' expectations were greater for his disciples than for those under Old Testament law. And then I want us to look at some New Testament application. And this is where we get into the passage that I asked you to turn to earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, and again, I'm not preaching the entire passage I'm giving from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but I'm choosing some points here uh, specifically within the context of tithing to try to help us together. Look, if you would, uh, in verses 12 and 13. We'll look there first. The Bible says, for the administration, and that word administration is the Greek word uh, for deacon. So it's talking about administering. Remember, what were the deacons? We looked in Acts. Why, why were there deacons? Because there was need in the Jerusalem church, because some of the widows were being neglected, right? Uh, the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected. The Hebraic Jews, those widows seemed to be. And whether it was intentional or whether it was unintentional, the Bible doesn't say. But the apostle said it is not fitting for us 
to leave the preaching of the word of God and prayer to serve tables. So let's get some deacons. Now these need to be spiritually qualified men. And they will help to administrate and to distribute and to help serve and meet the needs of the people within the congregation. And that's what's happening here. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, it not only meets the needs, but it is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all, all men. The giving of the Corinthian Christians to the church at Jerusalem not only supplied the desperate need of their brothers and sisters in Christ, but it was also an expression of the Corinthians' thanksgiving to God for his blessing upon them, and it became a source of thanksgiving to those in the Jerusalem church. I'm so thankful for uh, our church's generosity uh, to uh, Ronnie Autry for the birthday gift for Jesus offering. And he shared with me how very uh, grateful and thankful he was and how encouraging it was uh, when he found out what that number is. So already some of our missionaries, and I'll be emailing all the rest of them this week, but when I email our missionaries, it is just one of my favorite things to do uh, in the new year because I'll email them and I'll say, this is what came in and this is what it came in for. We're sending a check for this much to your mission board for it to be applied to this. And just the rejoicing and the praising of the Lord and the encouragement that you can just sense coming through that email as it is meeting needs and it's also causing them reason for thanksgiving and praise to god their faith in god is built uh through our our steps of faith in giving by faith uh in the in the in the christmas giving for our missionaries but paul also connects the corinthian church's submission to the gospel with their generous giving they were giving to Christ for the sake of the gospel to meet the needs and equip brothers and sisters in Christ. So we also conclude from this passage that financial giving is, a wor is worshipful thanksgiving to God, equipping his church to accomplish his will for his glory. So let me explain a bit about um, how God uses our tithes and offerings at Berean Baptist Church. When you worship the Lord by giving at least a tithe in the offering to the church, you're giving it to God's cause. And what is God's cause? Well, the Great Commission. So our commission includes evangelizing the lost. Your giving enables Berean to purchase gospel tracts, training materials to train Christians how to, uh, to share the gospel and to equip them for that, Bible, you know, evangelistic Bible studies and, and things like that, to put on gospel outreaches such as fall festival, booths at community days, embrace grace, grief share, teen outreach events, and other evangelistic endeavors. By the way, this September, Chase Williams is going to come, and he's going to be doing uh, a week of evangelistic meetings, the Sunday through Thursday evangelistic week of meetings. And so let me encourage you to mark it on your calendar. You can go on our website and see the church calendar and see those events. And uh, folks, that's an opportunity for us to pray and to invite and to reach out to unbelievers. And so uh, evangelists incur travel expenses. And so out of our tithes and offerings, we have set aside money for guest speakers to cover their travel expenses so they can come and minister. Then, of course, we give um, a free will offering during the week that we give uh, out of appreciation and for the support uh, of God's man when he comes and ministers as a benefit to the church. 14% of our, for those of you that don't know, 14% of our general fund giving, so tithes and offerings that are given in the general offering, 
14% of that is transferred to missions, and it supports our monthly um, missionaries, the, the amount of monthly support that we give to our missionaries. Uh, it also goes towards missionary projects. Remember, for instance, Annie Bonikowski last year and the excavator that we gave towards so that they, because of the Iardi um, farmhouse area and the mudslides and all of that, okay? Um, and then also for mission trips. And so uh, that's why we're, that's part of where your money is going. So it is, it is helping us and equipping us to be able to fulfill the Great Commission, not only through uh, missionary support and endeavors like that, but also through the materials that we need. Um, when you worship the Lord, also by giving uh, a tithe in the offering, you are uh, also helping us fulfill another part of the Great Commission, which is we are to baptize new believers. And so, you know, the money and the tithes and the offerings, part of that, we buy t-shirts, Berean Baptist t-shirts, baptismal t-shirts. And then that is something that uh, those who are baptized have and they can wear. And uh, I've been around town and seen a couple of our folks that have worn, been wearing their, ba their baptism shirt t-shirts. And it's just kind of a neat way to uh, maybe open up a conversation to share the gospel. Uh, and also, um, it helps us be able to pay to put water in the baptismal uh, pool and, and heat it. And me and everyone who's ever been baptized thanks you for supporting us being able to heat the water in the baptismal pool. All right? And then we also uh, have, you have Brother Mitch come and he takes pictures and then uh, we get those printed and put them in a nice frame and give that as a kind of a commemorative gift. And so uh, even that part of the Great Commission in baptizing, part of the funds go towards supporting that. And then the Great Commission also includes discipleship. Discipleship is doctrinal teaching, hands-on training, personal encouragement, and accountability for the new believer. So Sunday school curriculum, discipleship materials, even things like building maintenance and monthly utilities. We have a building here where we can come and, and like for instance, uh, yesterday we had our men's breakfast and we had a Bible study and Pastor Wyman shared the word of God, Jeremiah 45, which was a help and encouragement. We had fellowship together. You know, we have a place to meet and we were able to turn on the lights. We we're able to turn on the gas to heat the stove to make the biscuits and all the other stuff. Um, and so uh, it facilitates ministry and, 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 and our men's. Matter of fact, uh, Rashad Simmons' first exposure to our church was when Grant Frazier invited him to a men's breakfast. And the Simmons are still a part of our church family. And we're so thankful for that. That was right after I first got here. And so there are other ministries, the ladies, the Saturday ladies Bible study that meets here. Um, Christy Hurst used to have a, a, a morning a book study with some of the ladies and they met here. And there are other ministries that meet here and they're facilitated. And so uh, even in giving of utilities and building maintenance, it is these, this is part of the, if you would put it this way, part of the equipment that facilitates us in discipling brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. Um, and so, you know, Sunday school curriculum and all these other things and materials, discipleship materials, all these things cost money. And so your tithes and offerings are supporting the Great Commission in evangelism, baptism, and in discipleship. But then let's look back in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9 um, in verses 7 to 11. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 7 to 11. Uh, Paul writes, Who goeth to warfare, or who goeth to warfare at any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Saith not the law also the same? Uh, for it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. 
Doth God take care for oxen, or saith it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? He's saying, we're ministering to you of spiritual things. Is it wrong that we receive temporal remuneration to support us to be able to do that? And in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 and 14, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So Paul uses the illustration of financial support for those who are ordained by God for ministry. And, and that support coming out of the tithe. He uses Old Testament Proverbs, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn, and quotes. And actually the historical practice in the Old Testament that the priests and Levites were supported by the tithe given to the temple. And he makes a direct connection saying, and that should continue in this New Testament era, in this age of grace. By the way, just so you know, most of you know this, some of you may not know, Berean is not part of a centralized denomination where we would receive any kind of funds from that denomination. We don't give, we don't give to, a, to a central agency and we don't receive money from any central agency. The only money that Brain Baptist Church operates on is what is given in tithes and offerings. Okay? So just want you to understand that. Um, some of you may have not known that, just wanted to clarify. The Old Testament contains many instructions concerning the giving of tithes and the giving of offerings, which is in addition to the tithe. So, tithing is a great place to start in your giving. It is a baseline, not a ceiling. Okay. In other words, it's not, well, I'm going to start with 5%, and then, uh, and then hopefully eventually I'll get up to giving 10%, and when I get up to where I'm able to give 10%, I'm going to stop. That's all God, that all God requires. I'm not going to give any more than that. All right? Going back to the, the uh, Malachi 3 passage, will a man rob God? Randy Alcorn kind of uses uh, this uh, analogy. He says, well, um, he says, what if last year you robbed six convenience stores? And you say, oh, man, you know, that's wrong. Uh, Lord, it's, 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 you know, I'm not, thou shalt not steal. I've robbed, you know, from the six convenience stores. Uh, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to cut back on that. I'm just going to only rob three convenience stores this year. You know, are you still robbing people? Are you still doing wrong? Yeah. Okay. And so he uses that same analogy when people say, well, you know, um, I'm not going to give 10%, but I'll give this much. I'm going to live a little, little more, but I'm not going to commit to the 10%. Okay. Uh, we remember uh, God knows and he wants us to give with a cheerful heart and willingly. I understand we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about Lord willing. We're going to talk about stewardship, what it means to be a steward of what God owns. And then in the third week, I want to talk about the joy of giving. And not just giving through your local church, although that's part of it, but being able to give uh, to other ministries, um, even just within the community to meet needs as a bridge uh, for the sake of the gospel. What a blessing that God allows us to use temporal things for spiritual ministry. It is just an amazing thing, and only God could orchestrate something like that. And then there's one last point I'd like to make, and this is very brief, and it is this. You can trust God. 
In Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Jesus says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And the word seek means to hotly pursue. If you know what a heat-seeking missile is, okay, that's kind of the idea, that it pursues it, and, and it's going to keep pursuing it until it hits its target. And it's got that one centralized focus. So what Jesus is saying we, the Gentiles, unbelievers, man, that's what their focus is. Either it is, I want to get as rich as I can, get all that I can, and enjoy that for myself, or it's the other thing of, you know, how am I going to pay the bills this month? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How am I going to be clothed? You know, he said, all, the, the, all Gentiles are consumed with that kind of thinking, either to get rich or to get by. But what Jesus says here is, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things shall be added unto you. Do you realize he's talking about tangible things? Because what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Does that mean it's wrong to have a savings account or a 401k or 403b or whatever, or Roth IRA? No. God wants us to be faithful stewards. And we're going to talk about how this all works together more next week. Lord willing. Unless the rapture happens, wouldn't that even be better? Oh, I'm distracting myself. <laughs> but you can trust God. Oh, yes, back in, in verse 19. Land off yourselves treasures on earth, where, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. All that we have is, is temporal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay? He's talking here about treasures, things of value. That is not limited to money, but it would include money. And what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6 is tangible financial investment in the kingdom of God and prioritizing that as first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You can give to God, just like the widow at Zarephath. By faith, she took the last of her meal and the last of her oil and she made a biscuit and she gave it to the prophet first. And you know what? What happened in that situation? For the rest of that famine and that drought, there was always oil in that cruise. There was always meal in that jar. God continually, daily supplied. When we give, it's interesting. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to now. I was... Years ago, we were, I was in meetings up in, uh, on the east, uh, northeast and, uh, in a church. And uh, one of the things there, we, it was a, a very unusual thing. We did a month-long revival meeting. My dad came in and preached the first week. And then when he was done, my, one of my brothers came in, and he followed up the next week. When he was done, the next brother came in and preached a week. And then I came in and preached a week. A month-long revival meeting in January in Maryland. And they had snow. There were two nights when they had to cancel meetings because of snow. At the end of the, at the end of, uh, on the Friday night uh, of the service, we actually uh, stayed through Sunday. It was actually Super Bowl Sunday. Um, so we did, we started on a Monday night and then on a Sunday night. And I think it was on Friday night, it might have been Sunday night. The pastor handed out these little slips of paper just asking people, all right, how many nights out of the month, how many nights did you miss? And it was amazing the percentage of people that made every night when the church was open or only missed one or two nights. The majority of the people, and this isn't a church of probably 900 people, made it to, all, to every service or only missed one or two of the available services in the whole month. 
It was an amazing thing. And I, I think I had the best week out of everybody because my dad and my brothers have been preaching, preaching, preaching. You know, they've been plowing and they've been removing the rocks and they've been planting and fertilizing. And, and then I got to come in and just see what God, what God was doing. I mean, we had people coming up at the end of the service in tears saying, we don't want this to be over. And I told him this doesn't have to be over. None of us brought revival with us. We don't take it with us when we leave. God can keep doing this work. You keep praying and you keep being committed to God and you continue to respond as God has worked in your heart. Follow him and God will continue this in your heart and life and in this church. Well, the, the pastor um, of the church was, wanted to have some fun. So he uh, had us do a contest. Those of you that heard my dad or met my dad know that he has some unique mannerisms and a little bit of an accent. And so what the pastor did, because they did, they did uh, live stream back down, I don't know if it was live stream or just television, but they had five cameras, TV cameras, and they recorded all the services. And so with my dad's permission, uh, he had a competition. So one night of the meetings, each one of us brothers had the opportunity during announcements to come up and do announcements in, in, like my dad, to imitate my dad. And the contest was to see which one of us was the closest to my dad in the imitation, right? Just kind of a fun thing. And uh, somehow I won. So I got to go on a deer hunt. As part of the prize, I got to go on a deer hunt. And, um, and so uh, that fall, I went back up for this deer hunt. And there's a guy, who, a Christian guy in the church. He owned a business. And, um, and we had a wonderful week of hunting together. At the end of the week, um, we'd, have, we'd had some discussions. There had been some people in his family that were up there that just had some questions. And so we just, it just unintentionally just was something that God worked. And uh, they would ask, we'd have, every night um, after deer hunting, uh, we'd get together after supper and they would just ask me questions, spiritual questions, and I would give them my best biblical answer on those questions and just tried to help them. And so at the end of the time when I was getting ready to leave, this guy came to me. Now, I was praying for his business because he had really been going through a very rough financial time. And so he said, Brother Todd, you've been such a blessing to us this week. And, um, and I said, well, it's been such a blessing just to be here in fellowship with you guys and, and get to do some deer hunting and just have a lot of fun together. He said, well, I have something for you. And he reached in his pocket and he handed me a check. And when I looked at the check, I said, are you sure about this? I said, I know what's going on. You shared with me. We've been praying together for God to, 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 to help your business to recover. And he said, you know what, Brother Todd? He said, years ago, I learned that the time when I can least afford to give is the time when I need most to give. And I've never forgotten that. And you know what? God honored that man's generosity, and God began to bless his business and to prosper it because he ingrained in, in my heart and mind, here is a godly businessman who is determined that whether he is prospering or whether he is in deep want, he is going to be faithful to give to the Lord in worship because he loves God and he's going to honor the Lord and he's going to trust God. And folks, that wasn't a tithe and it wasn't to a church. It was just a personal gift to me uh, for our ministry and I was so grateful for it. But that just, and he wasn't doing it kind of sound pious or anything. He was just a, a, just a good old boy, just one of us kind of guys. Uh, but he was just, he just kind of shared that with me to kind of assure me, no, it's okay, I want you to have this. And I've never gotten away from that. The time when I can least afford to give is the time when I most need to give. Folks, be faithful in giving. I don't know what you give. I have no access to know who gives what. And I don't want to know. 
I don't need to know. That is between you and the Lord. But what I'm telling you from the scriptures as I have studied it is, and my personal conviction is, that God expects me to at least give a tithe. I believe he also expects offerings. But if you haven't started to give to the Lord on a consistent basis, let me encourage you to start by giving to your local church. You are receiving the spiritual benefits and blessings of being here. You can help support the ministry here. You are giving not in the end, you're not giving to Berean, though in a sense you are, but ultimately, just like in the Old Testament, they gave towards the temple and the Levites and the priests, but who were they really giving it to? The tithe was the Lord's. Our tithe is the Lord's. We're giving in worship to the Lord. So let me encourage you, if you are not giving regularly uh, at least 10%, that you would make that commitment and that you would make it by faith. And I trust that God would help you uh, to be able to do that, and you will begin to experience what we'll talk about in the third week, the joy of giving. It is an incredible blessing to give. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I trust this has been helpful to you. If you have further questions about this, uh, I would love to talk with you. Anything I can do to be a blessing to you. Heavenly Father, we do not look to man to meet our needs. We look to you. And yet, throughout the New Testament, you often called on churches to give to meet needs of others. Even Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, in the context of thanking the Philippians for once and again giving to his financial needs in support of his ministry, said... And I know my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And Paul was just conveying an assurance to the Philippians that as they had been faithful and obedient to give financially, to meet his needs and to support his ministry, that you were going to make sure their needs were met so we can have that same wonderful assurance. Trusting you frees us from the fear of wondering what will happen if we give. And it allows us to be obedient to you and to lay up treasure in heaven. So, Lord, I pray that this message has been helpful. I pray that every believer will be faithful in this regular practice of giving tithes and offerings. And, Lord, we thank you for the abundance that you have given to us. Uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Help us, Lord, to be able to give in such a way that it expresses our thanksgiving to you and causes thanksgiving to abound to those who receive the spiritual benefits of our financial investments in your kingdom. And now, Lord, give us your wisdom and discernment as we go about this week. Help us to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, if you'd stand, uh, we are going to dismiss by singing a chorus together. If God can be of spiritual help to you, please come and see me. I'll be in the back.